Very pleasant good evening to you. I'm glad you're here. We're going to be focusing on one word together this evening, and that's a very familiar Bible word to us. And the word is bold. Bold. Bold, or the other form you see it in is boldly or boldness. Uh, we're going to think about the word bold uh, together. A couple of passages to get us started. Proverbs uh, 28 in verse 1. By the way, um, please have your Bibles handy because we will be jumping around uh, in our Bibles, reading some together, commenting. But a couple of verses to get us started. Proverbs 28 verse 1. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. There's our word, boldness. Boldness. Coming over for a verse from the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul had just discussed how that the eternal purpose of God has been found in Christ Jesus to be made known through the church. Speaking to Christ in Ephesians 3, verse 12, he says, In Him, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence, through our faith in Him. So God fully expects us to be bold. Let me lay out my plan with you so that you and I can stay on the same page uh, this evening for the few minutes that we're together. First, we'll notice what boldness is not, and then we want to notice what boldness is. And then thirdly, we want to notice where it comes from, and then we want to notice together a personal example. And then quickly look at five areas in which boldness is needed. And then close with God's big secret uh, to boldness. First of all, first of all, what boldness is not. What boldness is not. Boldness is not necessarily yelling and screaming. For a lot of folks, that's what they think, first of all. If somebody is bold, then they're yelling or screaming. That's not the case, not even in the majority of the cases. It's not necessarily the case. Now, there are occasions that will shock us, situations that will shock us, situations where we do need to, to raise our voice, even with our children. You know that as parents and grandparents. You've got to raise your voice every once in a while. We even read of Acts 2, 14, where Peter had to lift up his voice as he began his great uh, sermon there on the day of, of Pentecost. But it's not necessarily yelling or screaming. Also, boldness is not rudeness or meanness. It's not rudeness or meanness. This is far, God doesn't sanction this. It's far from the heart of God for one to be rude or mean on purpose. 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25 says, The servant of the Lord does not strive, but is gentle toward all, toward, towards all. The servant of the Lord does not strive, but is gentle toward all. And also, uh, boldness is not arrogance or anger. One of the downfalls of Moses is seen in Numbers chapter 20 and verse 10 as as he had just about had it up to here with the people complaining. And so in disobedience to God, he said, Hear this, you rebels. Look at this, you rebels. And he struck that rock twice. Water came out, but God was disappointed in him. 
We are to be clothed with humility, of course. It's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, uh, verses 5 and, and 6. So God never sanctions anything that's even remotely close to being angry or, uh, or arrogant. Boldness is not certainly not hatred. Now we are told to hate. Proverbs 8, 13 says, To fear the Lord is to hate evil. So we do learn to hate what God hates and love what God loves. But er, um, boldness is not certainly not hatred of other people. We hate sin. We hate evil. But we love people. As Ephesians 4.15 says, we are teaching the truth, preaching the truth uh, in love. And boldness is not necessarily a freedom from anxiety. All of us as humans... We do become fearful. Uh, we even read from Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 2 as he speaks to those brethren in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 2 3, he says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. So on occasion, even Paul uh, withdrew back into uh, his fear. But he was mostly boldly. He even asked people to. To pray for him, we read in Ephesians 6, 18 and 19, pray that I may speak boldly, pray that I may be bold. Okay. And so those are a few examples of what boldness is not. And so let's proceed now to the second part of our lesson that focuses on what boldness is. By definition, boldness is unrestrained speech and life. It's bringing forth words for Jesus and living for Jesus in an unrestrained, unconcealed way. It's, it's an open life without shame for Christ. It's an open mouth without shame uh, for Christ. Okay. We are not people that, that tap, dance, tap dance around the truth. We don't beat around the bush about the very nature of truth is for us to be bold. To be bold is to be clear, to be plain, to be simple, to be straightforward. Okay. Boldness is not being vague okay. or speaking in the middle of the road. Boldness is straightforward, clear, simple, and frank, just as the Bible is uh, to us. Now to think about boldness, you might think about the opposite of boldness which is to be a coward. Those who take on this characteristic are fearful in face of danger and fearful in the face of the unknown. And it so embraces them that it keeps them from doing what the Lord says to do and it keeps them from doing what is necessary for the Lord's will. Now read with me a couple places of people being bold. Let's start in a Book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Looking at verse 27. You remember Saul has been converted to the Lord. Which is huge, huge news in the Jewish community. It's huge news for the brotherhood. Some are very resistant to claiming Saul, Paul as a brother. But notice in Acts 9.27... Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. 
and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Now I think it's bold for Barnabas to be doing what he's doing. So Paul is being bold in preaching in the name of Jesus. Barnabas is being bold in bringing Saul, bringing Paul to the apostles and declaring how this is the real deal. Okay. But don't leave this context. Keep reading with me in Acts 9, 28. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus. Right off the bat, as Paul would preach boldly, they sought to kill him. I want you to notice in each of these examples how that as one lives and teaches boldly for Christ, trouble follows. Trouble follows. Turn with me now to Acts 13. Acts 13. Look all the way down to verse 46 with me. Acts 13 and 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying... Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, Acts 13, 46. They spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, you Jews, but since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of of the earth, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited, notice verse 50, the Jews incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the cities to stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. Notice this was rejoicing for the Gentiles, but it was disputing. And violence for the Jews. When boldness is lived out, there's always trouble. Notice again in Acts 14 and verse 3. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by, by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. An attempt was made by Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them all and to stone them. It's almost without exception. When you read through the book of Acts and you see someone speaking boldly, there's always trouble that follows. Look down to Acts, look down to Acts 19 and verse number 8. It says... Paul entered the synagogue here in Ephesus for three months and spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. You know what a stir came up in Ephesus about the goddess uh, Diana. That they were worshiping and how the whole city was thrown into a frenzy because of the preaching of the gospel. Okay. 
So we see not only what it's not, but also what it is. It's a frank, plain, straightforward speaking and living for the truth of God, not beating around the bush, not concealing certain things because of fear, but coming on out with the whole truth of God. And we see here that oftentimes what follows is mistreatment from other people. Now, one little lesson we can draw from this at this point is to be aware of this ideal that, that, that you're only a godly person if all people speak well of you. That's the very opposite of the truth, really. Okay. Don't have as your goal for all people to speak well of you. Okay. It's impossible if you live for Christ. Okay. It's just impossible. Galatians 1.10, Paul says, um, If I am seeking to please people, how can I be a servant of Christ? It's just impossible. Okay. You say, well, like in 1 Timothy 3, uh, 6 and 7, doesn't it say that, that we're to be well reported of by people who are in the world? It says that. Okay. So whatever 1 Timothy 3 means, it doesn't mean the opposite of what we're talking about because we have plainly seen we must be bold. Whatever it means to be well reported of by the outside world doesn't mean we're not to be bold. Okay, we must uh, be bold. Now, what that means really in 1 Timothy 3 is that a person is to have convictions about Jesus, strong convictions, and then seek with his whole heart and very sincerely to live out those convictions. If a person professes a faith in Christ and yet doesn't live that out wholeheartedly, that's when people take notice. That's when you will not be well reported of by the world. The world may not agree with your convictions about Jesus, but they know when you're not sincerely living those out. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 2 and 3, as he spoke to his disciples, he says, you know, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they sit in Moses' seat. When they teach from the word of God, follow what they teach, but don't follow their pattern. Don't follow their life, for they say and do not. Notice the words of Jesus there. The Pharisees and Sadducees were not people being well reported of, especially by the Lord, because they... They said things, but they did not do them. They didn't live them out in their life. Okay. All right. So in our, to our third part of our lesson, and that is, where does boldness come from? We jump over to Acts 4 and 13. Acts 4 and 13. You remember this occasion, and we'll be spending a little time here in, in Acts, this area of Acts. But you remember this occasion. Peter and John have been detained they have healed a lame man. Uh, they're preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, the Jewish leaders uh, do not uh, appreciate this. So they detain them. Interestingly, there in Acts 4, they detain them late in the day. And so uh, since they didn't want to do any kind of trial at night, uh, they just uh, said, we'll meet back in the morning. And they kept them in some sort of holding place over night. And then the next day, they began to talk to Peter and John. Well, down in Acts 4, 13, it says, They saw the boldness of Peter and John 
And they took, not, took note that though these men were uneducated, unlearned, they had been with Jesus. That's one huge thought there. Where does boldness come from? It comes from communion with Christ. It was obvious to the world. It was obvious to these Jewish leaders. These men had been with Jesus. Now, this was one of the expressed purposes of Jesus calling his disciples. Mark uh, three fourteen says when Jesus called his disciples and called his apostles uh, to teach and train them. Uh, the first thing is uh, he wanted to spend time with them. He wanted uh, to be with them. He wanted them to spend time with him. Okay. And so because they had been with Jesus, they were able to find uh, their boldness. Think about Jesus and his boldness. Turn with me to John 7, 25 and 26. You read how the world not only saw the boldness of Peter and John, but they saw the boldness of Jesus as well. John seven twenty five. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? It is. Verse 26, And here he is speaking boldly, or openly. Here is Jesus speaking openly, openly and they say nothing to him. They're quite amazed that Jesus, it's, it's obvious to everybody, this is the one they seek to kill, and yet Jesus continues to speak openly, to speak boldly. This is how the disciples it eventually dawned on them that they also need to be bold because they were constantly with uh, Jesus. Notice this from, from Matthew chapter 26. You remember the time when Peter cut off the guy's ear and Jesus told Peter to put up your sword? If you keep reading after that, Matthew 26, verse uh, 54, well... For uh, to get familiar with this, we'll start in verse 53, Matthew 26, 53. Uh, Jesus said, Do you not think I cannot appeal to my Father right now, and He will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? you remember that part? Now verse 54. But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled uh, that it must be so? And then verse 55. At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against me as a, as a robber? with swords and clubs to capture me? He says, day after day I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me then. But notice how Jesus said himself, I was daily in the temple teaching and teaching and teaching. So Jesus was bold. Even though he knew people were after him, uh, he was bold. Another favorite example of mine and Jesus' boldness uh, in, in my view, John 18 when they come to arrest him, John 18, the first big paragraph in John 18. And um, verse 4, beginning in verse 4, John 18, verse 4. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell down to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. Just look at the boldness of the Lord there. 
This is where boldness comes from. Spending time with Jesus. You might say, well, the disciples were not too bold as Jesus was on earth. No, but remember what happened. He crucified and he raised on that third day. That was huge. And then remember, according to Acts 1, 1 through 3, that Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection on this earth, day in and day out with his disciples and with others who could hear him and could be around him and see again, not only him being the Son of God, but be able to see his boldness, to see his boldness. The principle still stands for us. If we're going to be bold, if I'm going to be bold, I've got to spend a lot more time with Jesus in prayer, in the scriptures, watching for him, noticing him, noticing how he reacts, noticing what he says, noticing his example, not only through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but also noticing his followers in the book of Acts. We simply must spend more time with Jesus. As that time grows, so does our boldness. And then, next part of our lesson, I want us to notice a personal example, and that's the example of Peter himself. Okay, so I'm going to hang out for about five minutes in Acts chapter 4. Okay, but I want us to think about Peter's example himself. It's not pleasant to watch Peter. In fact, it's painful to watch Peter kind of wilt. The Lord had predicted that Peter would deny the Lord. And then he did. He warmed by the world's fire. And he denied the Lord. And it's sad to see. Peter himself went out and wept bitterly. Okay. But look at him now. Look at him now. I want us to see just real quickly the transformation in Peter. Here in Acts chapter 4. We'll really early part of Acts. So look at these different components of the transformation of Peter. First, he is now willing to put himself out there publicly, publicly. He's right there on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 where thousands of people from all over the nations are gathered there on the day of Pentecost and he is willing to stand up and speak the truth. Acts chapter 3 in verse 1, Peter and John go to the temple one day at the hour of prayer where there would be the most people going to the temple at that particular part of the day. They go there. They have the opportunity to heal the lame man. But there Peter is again, instead of denying the Lord, instead of hiding or warming beside a fire, there he is willing to put himself out there openly for the Lord. And here in Acts 4, he is detained because of his teaching of Jesus. This is really the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, who has them uh, under arrest. What they would do, they would, the Sanhedrin would create a semicircle, and then they would put their offenders in the middle of that semicircle. Can you imagine being there? And in fact, if you notice Acts 4, verse 7, it says Peter and John are in their midst. In their midst. Okay. They put them right in the middle of them, okay, and they begin to question them. They're treating them like criminals. What is their offense? Okay. What is it that Peter and John have done so wrong? They healed a lame man. And of all things, the lame man is right there in the room with them. 
the very evidence of their good deed is right there in the midst of them. Don't ever underestimate the, the outright vainness and ignorance of rulers. Here it is, right here. Okay. And what a strange mixture, mixture of people. Acts 4, 1 and 2 talks about the Sadducees being there and other rulers. And then you start reading Acts 4, 6 and 7, 5, 6 and 7. That you've got all of them. You've got scribes and you've got uh, priests and you've got... You've got um, the scribes were mainly Pharisees. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees, they didn't agree together on a lot of doctrinal points. And yet, they're willing to come together in their opposition to the gospel. Okay. But Peter is willing to put himself out there. That's, that's one component of his transformation. Another is, he comes right to the Sadducees. Okay. And he preaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see that? In Acts 4, 1 and 2. That's his main topic. The resurrection that's found in Jesus. Jesus resurrected. We've got a future resurrection with him um, as well. He knew right on target. He knew the Sadducees did not agree with that. The Sadducees were really materialist. Anything that they could not see, they didn't believe in. They didn't believe in the soul. They didn't believe in the spirit. They didn't believe in angels. I don't know why they even claimed to believe in God. They don't believe. They didn't believe uh, in an afterlife. They don't believe in the resurrection. Peter knew this, and yet look at his boldness. He goes right to the Pharisees with this great doctrine and truth of the resurrection of Jesus. And notice part of this mixture, a third component. So see, Peter's willing to put himself out there publicly. Secondly, he comes right at the Pharisees, or Sadducees, and then thirdly, he's willing to go right at Caiaphas. Notice that Caiaphas is in this mix. Acts four. Caiaphas. You remember Caiaphas, don't you? Caiaphas was one of the ringleaders of, of taking Jesus to the cross. This is a fellow Peter didn't want to have anything to do with. Peter's outside warming by the fire. He didn't want to go up and stand in defense of his Lord at Caiaphas. But here, the same fellow, Caiaphas now, is in the mix of detaining and trying to bring persecution on on these apostles. And now, instead of wilting around the fire, Peter is going right at him uh, with the gospel. And then notice uh, Peter's answer in Acts 4. They, they ask him, by, by what authority, by what name, what power do you do, have you done this thing? Okay. Now, notice they won't call it a miracle. If you keep reading down to Acts 4, 14, 15, and 16, they get to themselves and they say, hey, we can't deny there's a notable miracle that's been done here. But when they're out there in the open and they're asking Peter, he says, by what authority did, have you done this thing? This thing. Let's see. And Peter, uh, straightforwardly, look at his answer. He says, be it known unto you that in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, does this man stand here before you hold? And even in Acts 4, verse 12, he declares that there's, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life as he taught in John 14, verse 6. Now Peter is letting them know that Jesus is the one. Jesus. In other words, back just a little while ago, Peter could not say, I'm completely with Jesus. Okay. But now he is with him. Where he is is where I'm going to be. Where he wants me to be is where I'm going to be. 
So notice he's willing to put himself out there. He comes right at the Sadducees, comes right at Caiaphas, and he speaks up in behalf of the name of Jesus. Okay. But then notice another component, and this is, this is interesting. Both here in Acts 3, Acts 2, Peter will look to them and say, this is the man that you crucified. So another component to see the transformation of Peter is to notice how personal and to the issue he is. That's what bold people do. They, they get to the issue. They get to the, to the issue at hand, which is, which is sin. Which is sin. Here, here's what you've done. Okay? If Peter hadn't told them on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 what they had done, they would not have asked him the question, what must we do? This Jesus, whom God has made, Acts 2.36, both Lord and Christ, you crucified. If Peter had not told them what they had done, they would not have turned around and asked, been pricked in the heart, what shall I do? Part of being bold is to show people how very tragic sin is and what sin does to a person's soul, what what sin does to a person's destiny, what sin does to a person's life, and to convict, help them be convicted uh, by the Word of God. And he gets very personal, and he gets to uh, the issue. When you are together with someone, family member, friend, there's 101 things you can talk about. And we're good at that. The weather, the fishing, the ball game, whatever it might be. But Christ would have us to get down to the nitty-gritty, to get down to the point of what needs to be said. Not that we're any way able to rise above and, and be perfect people, but nonetheless, it's still what God has called us. He's called, you look at people and say, the Lord has called me to be holy. He's called you to be holy. I'm going to try to live by His Word. Why don't you do the same? And so we see various components of Peter's transformation. We can go on and on with that, but I just wanted you to see that it's important for us to realize though at one point in our life, our lives, we may not be bold, yet we can come out of that. Okay. Through our communion with Jesus, through our relationship with Jesus, through studying and praying and exercising our faith, we can come out of weakness, we can come out of trembling, we can come out of a, a coward dis, uh, disposition and stance, and we can become bold. Peter did it. Peter did it. And he was, I mean, Peter knows that, that his name went down in history as one who denied the Lord when he said, Lord, I'll never, even though everybody else brings you offense, I'll never do it. But Peter didn't let any sort of shame He came back through the resurrection of Jesus, through renewing his faith, he came back. Okay. So, having seen what boldness is not, what boldness is, and then where it comes from, and then this personal example, I want us to notice, this is just for your thought, just for your thought, uh, for us to dwell upon. Notice quickly five areas where boldness is needed in our day. Okay. And how I remember that 
is life, body, soul, church, and family. Okay. I believe each of these are sacred territory. There's more than this, of course. But these, this is holy ground. Holy ground. Okay. God has given us life. When someone wants to take life from someone else, then we must be bold enough to speak out against it. Okay. Including the unborn. And then think about the body. The body. The body is a sacred temple from God. 1 Corinthians 6. It is not for fornication and it is not to be misused or misrepresented at all. And then the soul. The soul. Jesus himself said, the soul is worth more than all the world. Matthew 16, 26. And if we're not working in behalf of the next lost soul that we know about, then we're not respecting God. We're not being bold enough to respect our Lord. And then the church, especially worship. Worship. You know when worship falls into danger? Okay. When we begin to think about worship being about us and not God, that's when worship begins to dwindle. No one's against joy. No one's against a great deal of, of togetherness. Uh, but worship, when it begins to be about us, then we have lost our focus. And the Lord is not pleased. And then family. And then family. Do you notice that Satan has, has and continues to attack all these five areas? Life, body, Soul, church, worship, family. We must be ready to speak out boldly in behalf of the Lord's will in each of these areas. And then finally to the secret. To the secret found in Revelation 12 verse 11. I would say there are many secrets to boldness because the Bible is all about boldness. But this is just one little old lesson. Revelation 12 verse 11 has at least one of the secrets to boldness. It talks about how the early disciples were able to overcome, overcome, overcome their trials, overcome the temptations of Satan, stick with the Lord. It's a threefold secret. They overcame through the blood of the Lamb and through the word of their testimony and through this. They loved not their life. Even in the death. It's the secret to boldness right there. Is the redemption plan of God through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, is that the most exciting thing in your life, in our lives, together? Then we're going to be bold if it is. Do we believe in the power of the Word of God? If we do, we'll be bold. By the way, going back to Acts 4, verse 4, even after they detained Peter and John, it was really too late. Acts 4, verse 4. Because by the time they detained Peter and John, many had already heard the word and they believed because faith comes through 
hearing of the word, Romans 10, 17. Notice that played out perfectly in Acts 4, verse 4. And the number of the disciples come to be about 5,000 men. Okay. Why do you think Peter and John was doing what they were doing? They believed in the power of the gospel. And it does work in some hearts, doesn't it? About 5,000 men. That might add up to around 15,000, 20,000 people who were hearing and obeying the gospel in these early times when you add the women and children into that mix. And so the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, the power of the word, and then this one. They love not their life even unto death. There is a movie, I can't think of the title, we watched a long time ago, back when we had time to watch a movie. But it had Richard Gere in it as Lancelot. And the movie opens with Lancelot being an expert in sword fighting. And so he's, he's in this ring and and he's fighting and he's able to beat a guy who's like three times his size. So after a little match, the, the opponent asked him, he said, um, how do you do that? How do you do that? And Lancelot said, you can't care whether you live or die. That's the secret to a great swordsman. You can't live whether you, you can't care whether you live or die. There are the disciples Love not their life even unto death. If it took their life to expand the cause of Jesus, then so be it. This is just a brief study on the ideal, the word bold, and the ideal of being bold, having boldness in our lives. When it comes down to it, am I ready to be on the side of my Lord? Who is on the Lord's side? He's the master. Who is on the Lord's side? We know Paul says in Romans 8, 31 and 32, if, if God be for us, then nobody can be against us. Will you come this evening, right now, as we stand together? As we stand.